Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hello everyone, David here. Welcome back to the DGR Podcast. I have a really cool episode today. I have Joseph Bart. So I actually went on Joseph's podcast and he uh, graciously allowed us to share it over here as well. Uh, Joseph was actually my first ever uh, teacher. I My first workshop that I went to, Joseph was teaching it and I've admired him from afar ever since. Super smart guy, super smart coach, curious, humble, um, and just a really, really good coach. And most of the things I think that we speak about on the podcast, you haven't really heard me speak about before, or at least haven't heard me how deep I dive into them. Uh, or haven't heard me diving this deep into them and obviously if you don't know Joseph you haven't heard him speak about this stuff either and it's definitely not me just talking he has lots of excellent inputs along the way so we spoke about some of my key principles we spoke about the biopsychosocial model um, and its uses and what we take from that we spoke about joint mobility practices we spoke about focus points like internal versus external focuses for people in pain or with movement limitations tons of great stuff i cut out a couple of like minutes here and there from the podcast where you might have heard me like introducing myself or talking about some things that maybe you've heard before so i tried to cut those parts out and just leave in all the juicy stuff that you haven't heard much of before so uh, i think really good podcast hopefully enjoy it obviously give it a share if you do Uh, I'll, i'll put a link for joseph's website and uh whatever other stuff i need to in the show notes make sure you check him out again i'll repeat super smart coach really cool for for us to come full circle back around for me to be able to come on his podcast after learning from him so many years ago so uh yeah enjoy the podcast here you go all right welcome to another episode of the limbs praxis podcast and today i'm here with david gray david i met you we met some years ago, and I, te- I, I tell the story uh, about how it came to be that there's this podcast episode now together in a moment, but I knew that we met. I didn't know at which workshop, but I found out because I listened to the episode you did with Soichi, mm-hmm. and there there was a side sentence where you said it because apparently this was your first time at an Ido Portal event. And uh, I felt a little bit bad when I <laughs> heard this <laughs> because did you know that Ido would not be there at the event? No. 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 Okay. Yeah. No. Because there was this different phases. Um, in, the, in the beginning, when I was uh, starting to teach workshops for Ido, that was very often the case that he knew already he wouldn't come, but he w- wouldn't say it. Then yeah. <laughs> more and more people started to, you know, people start to realize, yeah, Ido might not be there. And then they had like a small sentence in the bottom that Ido might be there or might not be there. And uh, for me, it was always a bit of a tricky situation. I was not really in a place of power, so I didn't feel mm-hmm. I could like do much about it. And I also didn't really understand like, what's going on like why are we not telling the people that <laughs> he will not be there but i i i know why he did it because everyone was so connected with him you know they wanted everyone wanted to meet him but he wanted people to be there for the material so 
it put me in a very difficult situation sometimes yeah. because I had also people, you know, taking me after worship and asking Joseph, okay, let's speak for a moment. Why is Ido not here? And could he not tell us before? Like, and they're always mm -hmm. like, yeah, thank you, Joseph, for being here. It was very nice and I enjoyed it very much. But it would have been also great if Ido would have been here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought I thought it was it was a great workshop. I yeah, there's just that initial disappointment that he's not there because obviously he's the face of the brand and stuff. And I can understand from his point of view, he was because I probably wouldn't have went if I knew he wasn't going to be there. But then once I did go and once I finished it, I was still really happy that I went. So yeah, it's a bit of a tricky one. And we're running our own workshops now. And I have a similar problem because it's under my name and I have to teach them. Uh, but maybe I don't always want to have to teach them. So it's it's kind of a tricky one. But I would tell people who the instructor was. That, that, was, <laughs> that was exactly the question that I wanted to ask. How is it with your workshops now if you run into a, if you run into the similar problem? So, okay, you yeah. already had this on your mind. Nice. I, I tell a moment the, 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 uh, the story of this podcast episode. So I have a student, Simon Maura, who went to, um, I think he went to a workshop and he did also some coaching, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure if with you directly or with some of your uh, with me. Yeah, yeah, a little bit online with with me a couple of years ago. And then I think he's done some of our programs on his own. And then he came to our most um, our workshop in Munich, which was a couple of months ago, sometime earlier this year. Okay, yes. And he was very, very excited. Like he told me directly after, wow, Joseph, this was a very, very exciting workshop i learned so much and then he did a zoom session with me and a few others from from like we are all a small community here semi-small let's say or like a, a community of you know the in internal the group that is really dedicated and we sometimes do the zooms to share things with each other so he shared a few of this uh principles this the basic principles that you have to do and now I introduce who you are because I would be very interested to know this process of okay you 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 have this pains and injuries you look around some things probably help a bit some things don't help so much and now how did you get to the point where you are now that you understood that you solved your problems you solve you know the problem of other people what was the creative process behind the scenes can you tell me a little bit about that that would be very interesting uh, for me yeah and that's a that's the tricky part because i was reading uh i'm reading a book at the moment stephen king uh one of the best writers of our time and he has an autobiography kind of an autobiography it's a book and it's just just called on writing and he said I took a note. Let me see if I can find a note. It was on the creative act and it was something to do with ideas just kind of like, so here's the quote, good ideas come literally from nowhere. Two previously unrelated ideas come together and make something new. Your job isn't to find these ideas. It's it's your job to recognize them. So that I the reason I took a note of that quote is because some of the like ideas I've had it seems like they've came from nowhere, but then like the next line says two previously unrelated ideas come together and make something new. So I, for example, 
I studied in Sydney and I did a little bit of like Chinese martial arts, internal martial arts in particular. And I started to notice all of the practitioners and the people that were practicing those type of arts, how one, they're pretty happy in their lives. Two, they're very relaxed. And three, they move really, really well. And and a big part of their um, practice is focusing on moving their bones with much less tension versus in the strength and conditioning world it's how much tension can i create so that was a i think that was a looking back that was probably a big part of what helped our system develop because one key principle we have is don't fight tension with tension mm-hmm. and so like for example people for example where you might think about fighting tension with tension in the physiotherapy world traditionally if you go in with a tight back, they will give you exercises that will be tightening your core. Like, okay, you have a tight back, you need planks, you need sit-ups, you need crunches, you need all these side planks that will tighten your core. So they're fighting the tension at your back with the tension at your front. And personally, I just think you just end up with tension everywhere when you do that. You just brace at your back and your front. So we have a key principle, which is if I want to get movement into your back it doesn't mean that i need a shit ton of tension at the front i just need to start to move my spine around if i want to get tension in like or start to move my knee i don't need to drive it with a huge squeeze and tense i just need to move my bones so that was a key that is a key principle don't fight tension with tension and that kind of paired then with some really good people that i learned from in the biomechanics world allows hopefully me and others to see to be able to assess people to see how they're moving and what ways they are not moving or can't move and then help them find ways to move that that area in their body but with the key point of not trying to just like squeeze or brace or pull myself in as hard as possible actually just let the bones move and the muscles will do their job so that's a key principle and that's where like two unrelated ideas for me at least kind of came together then obviously in the rehab space, we have to try and build a lot of strength. And I can relate to that, to that, David. Like for me, it's um, also very often that things, two things connect this, I can very much relate to. Um, many things that I do is sort of came from, you know, it can come from a sentence I heard someone saying on the bus. And then a few months later, this accumulates into some sort of practice. What you said about the ribcage, let's dive for a moment into that. So this uh, mobilizing the ribcage through the breathing, what would be a person that you give that to? Are that person with specific problems? Is this a general thing that you would do with everyone? Like to whom would you apply that? Um. So it's general with everyone in terms of like everyone should be able to hopefully move their ribs um, and their thorax. And it, can can you say why? Because for me, where there's joints, we should have movement. So yeah. I think I that's a that's a simple thing for me. I and and that's easy to see with my hand. I would love to be able to move my hand and pick something up, and people can easily understand that. But then when it comes to something like a spine. It's a little bit harder for people, some people to see. But for me, for me, that feels obvious. Joint, if we have joints, they're there for a reason. Hopefully I can move them. It doesn't mean I have to be a contortionist or a, a, 
do big, huge movements or anything like that, but hopefully I have access to some movement. And another key principle is like, for me is, is yes, we can get stronger locally at each individual tissue and each individual joint, but a body, when you look at the best athletes in the world, and, and I know some people listening might not be an athlete, but it doesn't matter in terms of like, you can still look at these people, Roger Federer, Michael Jordan, Lionel Messi, they look very efficient with their movement. It's if, if you looked at them in a yoga class, I bet you they would look terrible. They wouldn't be able to get into these big poses. But when they move their body, because they don't have the most flexible hamstrings or the most flexible quads, or they can't necessarily access huge ranges all the time. But when you look at them moving, like they share load across their whole body. Every single thing comes to the party. Mm-hmm. And I think... I think the opposite of that sometimes can be true, which is if you look at maybe a bodybuilder or a powerlifter, they're very good at specific things, but they're very strong in certain areas. And then they really struggle to maybe access other, other types of movements. So, and that goes for everyone, but, um, sorry, what was the initial question? The, I'm not the sure. initial question then was, uh, uh, who would the, who would oh, the, the people that where it would say, okay, this is a must, like you have to, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I would always give this type of person this exercise. So the, the rib cage stuff. So, um, there, I don't think it's a must for anyone, but mm. in general, some people who are very tense and not just like in their body, but in their, in their lives, in their mind, in how they act, they react to things very, very quickly. They, someone steps in front of them in the queue in a shop and they just like, they want to fight them instantly breathing or just giving some breathing or some kind of meditate meditative work for that type of person, I think can be good because they are living in a constant state of probably stress. So just getting them to lie down and relax for a while can be very good. And usually they're the same type of person that will be very tense in their body. They have a tense mind and a tense body and which came first. I don't know, but we probably need to work on a little bit of both. So just getting them to chill the mind and getting them to move their body. And usually I think both tends to help. That's why people go for a walk in nature. It gets their, it gets their bones moving. It gets their joints moving. It gets them to relax. It gets them to open their senses, not just like live in the moment in front of them, but open their world up. Um, Their breath, usually their heart rate kind of things start to just come down a little bit. So for someone that's very tense, first of all, I'll put them up there. They need to work on breathing stuff. Usually, I think even just even if you think about the pause in the breathing work, we take an inhale and we take an exhale. We take an inhale and actually there should be a pause. We take an exhale and there should be a pause. But these people, they don't pause in their lives at all. Someone does something to them in the car and they jump on the horn. Someone does something to them in the shop. And they they jump. There's no moment of reflection, the moment of pause, reflection, and then actually now I can act. They just act. They just react to everything. So these people, if you look at them breathing and you ask them to inhale and do a long exhale and take a pause, they can't pause. They have to <laughs> gasp for air immediately. So the pause is something that's missing, I think, in their lives in general. So that's someone that's like definitely, I think, would benefit in every way from doing that. Other people... If you see someone that maybe really struggles to flex their spine, their thoracic spine in particular, I know a lot of people do thoracic spine flexion drills, and I think they can definitely work. But my 
sometimes my first thing would be to look at actually can they put air into that area and expand that area back there um, and open up the all that kind of posterior mediastinum, which is all that space just let's let, around the back of the rib cage. Let's just say. Then, if you have someone that maybe struggles to go into the spinal extension, uh, thoracic spine in, in particular, and not even just extension, but because we can go into extension, but you can keep your chest qu quite closed when you do that. So it's more about actually getting expansion through the chest wall. So maybe someone who has very rounded shoulders, and which there's nothing wrong with at all, but they might be maybe losing movement options and not be able to move in a certain way. So I would be trying to get them to maybe open their chest a bit more with the breath. And then if you think about, these are just base level things, but you think about someone who maybe struggles to laterally flex and side bend their spine, um, maybe that's where like they need to side bend and close one side and breathe and be able to really open up the other side. So those are some simple things. But in general, I think when you start to dive deep into the biomechanics stuff, when you see people with very tight feet and tight ankles and tight hips, like if they have very tight feet and ankles, usually they have very tight hips and usually they have very, they don't move their spine very well. They don't move their shoulders very well. So rather than trying to run around the whole body and stretch each isolated area, which I think a lot of people do. I think if you can start, not necessarily start, but if you have a focus on mobilizing the middle of the body, getting the ribs and the spine moving really well, I feel like that kind of proximal mobility starts to spread out and opens up the shoulders, the hips, the knees, the ankles as well. Nice. So, now we, it sounds like we have a nice principle now to go from the center and yeah, and not, and, and not, and not always, but yeah certainly to be open-minded to that idea to make sure like yeah if, uh -huh, if, of course if you, if you have someone that is just so tight through the rib cage in every breath they take they're really constricted I, th I think there's a lot of benefit in opening that up and interesting how quickly we got into a more holistic thing that we are talking about because no if if i would now open uh, instagram and look at your account first i would think about okay this is more centered on let's say physical the physical layer mm -hmm. but now very quickly you talked about the whole integration of everything and the 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 mental layer in a sense the spiritual layer also that's very interesting for me to hear and i see why this is Maybe not the first thing that you would on your Instagram show or something like this, obviously, yeah, <laughs> because you, uh, I think you clearly have your niche defined what you want to talk about sort of to, to get people, uh, to get people's attention. And from there, you can go into uh, deeper things, maybe openly, or maybe just you observe things and you give them mm -hmm. things that they, that, that a client might not even in a sense like no it's for it's for that yeah exactly yeah. exactly and that's that's the the great the great model that's really emerging or it has emerged quite a while ago but getting more popular in the pain world is the biopsychosocial model and understanding mm -hmm. like this person as a whole and funnily enough a lot of physios use biopsychosocial as a way to basically pretend that the body doesn't exist it's all about now 
talking to your clients, communication, building up their confidence uh -huh. and forgetting about biomechanics or biology. Um, whereas I, I, that frustrates me because a great way to build confidence with someone, if someone has a sore knee and they feel like they are a sore back, they can't, they don't feel comfortable to round their back to pick up a pen. A great way to build confidence is to tell them, look, we know from the research that spinal flexion isn't bad. It's, it's not dangerous. It might not be, it might not feel amazing for you right now, but if we just gradually expose you to some of these movements, your body will adapt and you're going to be fine. That's a great way to build confidence. Another great way to build confidence is to actually train someone and show them, get them to feel that this doesn't feel bad for you. It feels okay for you. And the best way to build confidence is to do both. It's to explain it to them and prove it to them so they can feel it for themselves. And this is, for me, this is like the merging and actually truly not just talking about biopsychosocial, actually practicing it. And it's, 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 it's a relatively new concept. It's been around quite a while, but also great coaches have been doing this forever, have been, have been speaking to their clients, taking in, uh, looking at, like thinking about how they're sleeping, how they're eating, uh, how they're thinking, their thoughts, beliefs, and emotions and goals and fears. They've been training them to be stronger and move better, making sure they're recovering well. So like great coaches have been doing this forever. Parents have been doing this forever. Your child falls on the floor and you see them fall and you know it's not a big fall, but they start crying. Uh, usually a lot of parents will go over and say, don't worry, you're okay. You're okay. They, they don't presume that the child crying means that they've damaged something. But when we, or when a lot of people, a, a client comes into their office and they tell them, I have a sore back, the presumption, a doctor might presume your back is damaged. That shouldn't be the presumption. The presumption is you, you, it doesn't feel you're, you're getting a specific feedback from your back, but that doesn't mean it's damaged. Mm -hmm. And the biopsychosocial model is really just what good parents have been doing for a long time, telling their child, one, I'm going to reassure you, you're not, you're not, you're, you're, you're freaking out, you got a fright, but you're okay. Number two, guess what they should do next? They should, if, if it was playing a game and they fell, they should reassure them that they're okay. And two, show them again, say, let's get back into it. I don't want to leave it and say, okay, we need to go home and not do this again. Because now the child is like associating this game with pain and thinking I'm not able to do this. So they need to be able to get them back into it again. Let's get them almost forgetting about the, what just happened and rebuilding confidence again. So good parents have been doing this holistic view forever and good coaches have. And we've just kind of in the health and fitness industry, like put a name on it more recently, which is important, but it's not a new concept. Hey guys, David here. Just wanted to take a super quick break from the show to tell you about our foot program slash Achilles slash ankle slash toe, shin, calf, just lower leg program. So it shows you the exact step-by-step -step progression that I use with all my lower leg clients. And I didn't think anything would eclipse the popularity of lower body basics. And honestly, the foot program is doing it. People absolutely love it. It's been made its way through the industry like wildfire. So if you haven't uh, got it, got your hands on it yet, I think it's probably the single thing, biggest thing you could do to improve your results that you're getting with your clients and also change how you move from the ground up. So I'll put the link in the show notes. Check it out. I promise you won't regret it.
I add a small detail to the parent thing. Um, do you have kids, David? No, but so I probably shouldn't speak about it, but I've, <laughs> I've, I've observed good parents. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have two. So I have two kids. And uh, I would add the first thing that you do that is nice to you don't have. I mean, you can do whatever you want, but uh, as long as it is not not uh, creating damage. But um, the first thing that I and uh, Annika, my girlfriend, do when the kids hurt themselves is ask them how they feel. Mm-hmm. Ask them how 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 does it feel and tell them that their feelings and, and like mirror the feelings and say to them I understand that you feel pain because they fall down and they have let's say they hit their hand and they are in pain and say and then I would say often something like wow that 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 is probably hurting no like do you feel pain and because this because for a child is also the communication the outside communication of, yeah, I'm in pain. And if you listen to the child, already already many things happen. And then the child often calms down very quickly mm-hmm. from this acknowledgement of the parent that, that yes, my, my uh, father or mother realizes that I'm in pain. All right. And maybe in the work with clients we could think ah how is that also going there that no to take because that's basically taking the feeling of the child seriously and in that sense also taking the feelings of the client seriously Uh, while like you said not putting the client in a box like saying okay he says he has back pain or she, uh, so he must have a disc hernia or something like that, but that it can be whatever reason, but he mm-hmm. feels that that's, that's true. It's true that the person feels pain. Yeah, exactly. So that's, it couldn't be more perfect what you said. So, and I definitely skipped that there. So starting, it should be number one is actually listening and having empathy. And then number two is probably building confidence or reassuring them or yeah, educating them a little bit in a empathetic way, not in a, I'm telling you it's this way. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So perfect. Exactly. I love that. And David, you are doing work online and offline and offline is in, in Dublin. Am I, am I correct? Uh, in Waterford. So we're about two hours South of Dublin. Okay. This is a place I never heard of, unfortunately, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. it's unfortunate for us too, in some ways, because it's really nice here, but we don't, the biggest problem is we don't have an airport. So we have, we actually have a client over here at the moment from Switzerland who has flown in. He's, he's a runner. He's come over to us probably four times in the last 18 months or two years for like a, a week or two weeks or three weeks of training at a time. We initially started with online. He had a foot problem, a sesamoid problem. He hadn't run for about 18 months and uh, we cleaned that up online and then he wanted to get over and come into more just training stuff like, okay, Uh this feels, this happens quite a bit. Like people, we kind of rehab an issue and then they realize that now they're actually performing a bit better than they were even before they were injured and they want to keep going down that rabbit hole. So yeah, the biggest issue with this is he has to 
fly into Dublin and then get a train down or hire a car or something like that. So, and also we're doing a lot of traveling for our workshops. So the lack of an airport in our city is an, is a big issue for me right now. I see. How big is this city? Uh, it's like the fifth or sixth biggest city in Ireland and Ireland is not a big place. So not that big. Okay. I don't know how many people, but yeah, not that okay. Big. All right. Okay. 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 Um, but you have your, you have a clinic there. So local people come in and, or it's more people traveling from international. Uh, a little bit of, a little bit of both. We haven't been taking on new clients really for a couple of years now, because we've been full up. So we have some local people, but they're more like pretty good athletes around the country who are really struggling to get help elsewhere or yeah, somehow they like weasel their way in and I, I'll, I'll end up taking them on. Um, And then we have some online clients, like some basketballers or soccer players and rugby players around the world. And and also sometimes we do have a little, little space to take someone on. And that's more of a just it, the timing is right. Someone said, my I have a hip problem and I want to be able to just walk better or go for a run or whatever on the weekend. And we'll do a little bit of work. But yeah, that's why we created some of our kind of DIY programs to help people be able to help themselves without needing to talk to me all the time yeah where well, you have uh, a few like you have something for the foot um you have something yeah for the not, lower body lower for the body core, for the upper body exactly yeah 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 okay and these programs are for normal people also to fix their problems yeah they're just for anyone we've had our lower body one was our first one um It's probably the reason I'm speaking to you now because we released that, I think around May 2020. So around the start of COVID and I just wrote it. I sat down on the couch when, when it actually took me about 20 minutes to write the program. And I just basically wrote what I would love all my clients, like hip and pelvis, groin, hamstring, quad, knee, calf clients, all this kind of lower body stuff to be able to do. Uh, not being super specific to each issue, just being like, okay, you have a knee, I'd love it to be able to move in these ways. You have a hip, mm -hmm. you have a pelvis, I'd love it to be able to move. You need to be able to be strong in these ways. And yeah, that the reason I'm talking to you is probably because that program did so well. And eventually now about 20,000 people have done it and it's been used oh. in every major sport in the world. And Yeah, so a lot, actually 20,000 people have bought it, but I think maybe like hundreds of thousands of people have done it. <laughs> Unfortunately you never know, for me. Like, can be also that just yeah. 1,000 people did it and the other ones just like to buy things, you know? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> sometimes that's the, that's a bit the issue with the online programs, no? Like I have some, sometimes we have, I have just a few uh, online things I have did, like this, uh, what I call SROMP, basically joint mobility uh so circles and lines and in each joint and then combining that and this is one very important pillar of my work which i basically do with almost everyone that that comes in and i sometimes have people that bought this as an online course and after a while they um they book coaching yeah because they realize it's hard for them to do that this is a certain type of people no there's people that can do that on their own they buy this DIY program and mm -hmm. yeah and they get come out on the other side as I did it perfect works and there are other people they need an accountability partner or they need someone 
yeah to look after them and so on and for them it's much they're much more let's say interactive people yeah. which i would say in a sense everyone is usually uh benefiting no from accountability but obviously as a coach you have a very limited mm-hmm. amount of time that you can coach people so this uh diy programs i also find always very helpful and they're usually a good start no into into uh yeah. something so if people want to know more from about your stuff probably they first look at your ins they see you on instagram because i think that's your uh that's like the go-to you also have the podcast mm-hmm. the podcast it seems for me it's a little bit more for people that are already in the yeah. thing but i might be mistaken yeah so the no it's that- it's more i go a bit more higher level on the yeah. podcast yeah. yeah because what i or listened coaches. to i also felt like wow i need to i need to really concentrate now to, <laughs> yeah. to, and, to and, stay. And, yeah that's the tricky thing with the podcast is is i it, i definitely am talking to coaches and therapists there yeah. um but you you probably know yourself especially with solo episodes a conversation like this is great because I can judge your feedback and mm-hmm. your reactions and stuff. And I know how fast, hopefully I know roughly how fast to speak mm-hmm. and how slow, but on a solo podcast, I just have a topic and I just go and I don't know, I can't see anyone nodding along. So, <laughs> so I, when I finished doing a solo podcast, talking about whatever I talked about, I did one release. It does one releasing today talking about contrast training, French contrast training and rehab, mm-hmm. which is like pairing four exercises. So doing like something heavy then something fast then something kind of kind of heavy and then something pretty fast for example and I just spoke about my thoughts on that and I I finished the podcast and I walk away and I literally don't know if one person will understand anything or benefit in any way (laughs) yeah yeah, I know what you mean yeah yeah I know what you mean with this content creation uh I I have the same thing that I sometimes feel like sort of I'm here talking I don't see anyone. That's why I I often like to do podcast episodes also with uh with Mariana, who is my right hand or my left hand because we're both left handed. I like to say my <laughs> left hand, yeah. <laughs> so I like to do lots of stuff with her together. Although it's sort of not necessarily always needed. I might know everything that I want to say, you know, but it's still good to sort of have a sparring partner mm-hmm. in the room. And someone that can, yeah, that can get feedback and raise a little bit the eyebrow if you say something that makes no sense at all. <laughs> can, I, but, can I ask uh, a question, so, Joseph, um, around your joint mobility, um, that kind of program that you yeah? have? Can you can you explain a little bit um, around the concepts or how, how that works? So I know you're saying like circles and lines, but yeah, I so, know so you think a lot deeper. I, I would say, um, so if... For the listeners, if someone, I realized if someone knows the approach, uh, the neuroathletic approach, I realized, ah, actually they do the same thing. So uh, what I do there is education about how the joints function, how you can move them. And first we start in a very isolated way like okay i move the head side to side these things uh different lines also diagonals and then different rotations different combinations of it and first learning to like 
make decisions about what moves and what moves not. And this I also took from the uh, from the time I spent with Ido, where we also did a lot of this joint rotations and stuff. I then I would say we there we skipped many basic things because Ido wanted to. He always said, "Okay, this thing people already did five times when they walked to the gym at the street." But I actually then decided, okay, but I want to have all these very basic things mm -hmm. because when I did it with people, I realized people said, wow, I feel so different now after. And also I realized the same thing for me. Like when I um, do in, in my morning routine, I usually do this stuff. Yeah. And basic things with my head that I did a long, a long time, uh, like, like for many years I do this, but I still feel it has a very positive effect yes. on me. So there is this connection of moving the joints, keeping the joints mobile, healthy, uh, that there is that there is um, metabolism in the joint happening, but also this mind-body connection, this connection of the nervous system, this checking, yeah, this how do I feel today in the joints? First, more isolated way, but then it can also lead to more improvisation actually like first integrating like moving one thing here moving one thing here, there and also in this uh, this also a thing that i took from from ido like talking about open kinetic chain and closed kinetic chain and then the closed kinetic chain uh let's say when i when my hand is stuck and then i want to move in the in the wrist and then i will move in the wrist and the elbow and here together but this will stay and another point will stay and how do i move in between and do circular motions yeah that then you learn how to integrate the joints together how they how do they move together nicely and then hopefully this ends up for people being able to use that freely playing with that or doing whatever singular moves they want but having this good map of their body and knowing ah if i feel like this then it helps me to do this and that and i had some interesting things uh that people said like one one guy had that he was doing different things with the with the head uh, different head moves uh, movements and he said wow this is like a 30 minute meditation session but after you know a few minutes he get this mind like, like does this like the oceanic thing yeah where you're like seeing the ocean in front of you just through moving the head yeah that's strong yeah. that's yeah that's great i love that the i love what you said about the basic head movements like looking left and right you might you might do it throughout the day but when your intention flips to this is what the internal martial artists do where the the i had craig craig mallet on my podcast and i actually think it was a really really good podcast because I and others don't understand it well, like well enough what they what some of what they do. So they have two two things. The difference between external and internal martial arts is I don't want to butcher this now, but one is like I'm focusing on the movement itself. And the second one is once I can really do the movement really well, I can focus on the sensations within my body a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So the movement is more automatic and now I can really tune in. And I'm sure there's a line like where there's a little bit of both happening and a lot of people, yes, they're moving their neck some ways throughout the day. And 
but but when you're not worried about when the intention switches from I need to look at that car to I need to turn my head and only focusing on turning my head, I get a lot different sensations back from my body because when I live my life, I can't if I if I'm going for a walk and I'm trying to get across the road, I can't my brain just can't focus on all of these sensations. There's yeah. too, way too much going on. Um so the intention usually throughout the day is coming through my eyes and my hands. I'm looking, I want to look and fix my eye, fix my gaze on a certain part. I need to pick up this pen. I'm not thinking about when I'm picking up the pen, I'm not thinking about I need to extend my elbow and flex my wrist and grasp the pen and blah, 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 blah. I'm literally just fixing my gaze. My intention is fixed on the pen and I pick up the pen. But if I do a picking up the pen motion and I focus on, what, how my elbow feels and is moving in space, I get a lot different, uh, a lot different sensation and feedback coming back from that area, and potentially the chance to change how that area feels and moves a little bit, a little bit better when we do that. So I think it, I love the joint uh, movements, the more isolated, more integrated. Even if we're moving our joints, even for people who are moving their joints a lot, because when they flip their intention, you can get very different results. And it's interesting the play in between these things that you mentioned because I uh, remember when you were talking with Soichi in this podcast, you were also talking about this. You had there was this thing, I think Soichi said it. Uh, someone has shoulder problems, and then she said, Okay, I asked him, Can you mix a drink for me? And then he, yeah, moves the, moves the arm and moves the shoulder, and then, and, and in this movement, it's okay. And there, there is this, how do I say, like, um, dichotomy, I don't know if that's the right word. Like, there, there is now a thing of, okay, do I do such tasks that are, that shift the focus in a sense outside that is, like, with this movement, I'm trying to achieve an outside thing, like I mix the drink, mm -hmm. Yeah. And then on the other side, we have this focusing on the movement and the movement in a sense is not to achieve a, a change of the outside. It's not yeah. to locomote somewhere in that sense. It's not to manipulate the space, but it's, yeah, it's an internal loop that is happening. And there is something with both of them, no? Like you, I think you said also in this podcast, both of you were agreeing like, Okay, that's also very interesting that if someone has pain and but suddenly they need to do a certain thing, they don't feel the pain. Exactly. Yeah. So especially with pain, this is important to understand for people because a lot of people with pain will be so internalized. All they think about all of the time is how does my knee feel when I walk down the stairs? How does my knee feel when I stand up off the toilet? They're not they're not thinking about the task. Even when I had really bad knee pain. I found myself even playing in big games, very big games, like biggest game of our season in Gaelic football. And it was so hard for me to really get in the zone because my knee pain was so intense that it was always pulling me back there. And this is, this is an important concept in rehab as well, because when we start to increase speed of movement, we need to stop cueing and coaching and focusing on like each part of our body so much. This is what I think coaches... And therapists miss this part because often we're heavy on, okay, can you feel your foot? Can you feel your hip? Can you feel this area of your body? But the best athletes, again, 
when they increase speed, they can't tell you what they feel anywhere. They are focused, so focused on the task of getting to the ball. And, and so that is really important. And that is a, can be a really big lesson for people in pain because I can get you to try and flex your shoulder. I can try and um, yeah, lift your arm up overhead and you'll say it's my, my shoulder is sore uh, when I do that motion. Or I can get you to put your hand against the wall in the closed chain and I can get you to push your chest down towards the floor. You've still actually gone into an overhead position. It's just how you've got there is different. So we can scramble the signal in that way. I can get you also to say, put, bring your arm up overhead, or I can throw a ball and you have to catch it over your head. That might be two very different outcomes in terms of how you act, how your shoulder feels, but it might be a very similar movement. So I think being able to switch between that yeah, external task and being able to focus internally for the right person uh, can be can be magic. Yeah, yeah, that's so that's so interesting how this this differences that seem subtle like that seems very small no but actually in the in our mind body spirit connection to the environment this is so different because there's no just mechanical moving the arm there's always a layer behind it mm -hmm. i'm getting back to uh to a, to a strain of uh, our conversation that we didn't finish about uh there your so people come probably through your instagram there's your there's your online programs do you say programs do you say courses how do you call uh, that pro programs yeah. programs yeah there's the online programs and there's some people that come to your clinic like depending on availability mm -hmm. yeah so uh there is more demand and supply on on that and you have some workshops as well also not so many as i see yeah you also do too much travel here and there it looks yeah. like travel travel wears me down a little bit so this yeah we've been in australia germany sweden uh canada for a couple of workshops um london twice already this year maybe somewhere else as well i think a couple of other places so we've been doing at least one workshop every month and you get sick of airports very i get sick of airports very quickly i really like being in the city or the place but i don't <laughs> like being in the airport yeah yeah i know that feeling like I, when when this was mainly when i was working with ido or before i was working for MoveNut. uh so yeah i was also traveling a lot and now i'm traveling much less i'm also traveling uh but then it was like every other weekend and that was yeah that was quite intense so yeah yeah it was intense to a point also where my my son yesterday he asked me um if i have been in belfast he's very much into the titanic at the moment and the titanic has okay. been built in belfast and my, my mother was standing next to me actually and i was saying i don't know i <laughs> I, I've been to Ireland, but I don't know if I've been to if I've been to Belfast or if I've been to Dublin. Yeah, but because we had a workshop there, but it starts to become a bit blurry because you sort of go in and out. You know, like it's it's, it's still nice to have seen all these these places, uh, but as, as as yeah, at least we didn't do it that we stayed because we had always 
Berlin as the base and and came back and now I would do it similar because of or I doing it similar because of my my kids I don't want to stay too long uh away from them well it was an interesting moment where I realized wow uh okay usually I know but I, yeah. it's also because of the situation in in Ireland because there's two capitals like of North Ireland and of the mm-hmm. of Island and uh I, that was confusing me a little bit but it showed me okay that's interesting yeah yeah <laughs> that's that. why we, my wife Kira organizes all of our workshops and I literally don't know half most of the time I don't know the name of the gym I don't know whereabouts it is I just she just gets me there and then I start talking and that's so yeah I can't even remember where I was like last month never mind a few years ago <laughs> if people are uh coming to you they want to solve a problem compared to now because to my podcast there's lots of coaches are listening to it also physiotherapists do they have a different entry point or they would both start with buying one of your online programs I think I honestly think that's the best place to begin uh because it gives people a chance to dip a toe in and it's very it's very practical to begin with. And I like people to start with practical. And then like we have a we have a membership site at the moment where I it's it's almost like a like a Netflix of just movement. So you can just go on and choose a body part or some kind of topic and there'll be loads of different like five, 10, 15 minute videos where I break down, I might show you a client and stuff like this. And I think there's about 800 coaches and therapists in there that study every month with us there. It's just a monthly subscription. And I would say 99, 95% of them have started with buying a program first, mm-hmm. um, just to get a feel of it and try a few things. And it's not a huge commitment. The programs might be like 20 minutes a day or three or four days a week or something like that. So yeah, most people start with either the lower body basics one or the foot one. And the good thing for, co- they weren't actually written for coaches and therapists. They were just written for people yeah. to yeah. do. Um, But yeah, they end up just, they end up coaches and therapists, especially the new foot one now, it, it kind of has four phases where it breaks down. Okay, here's the, here's the, here's the foot. We're going to, in phase one, we're going to, start to map out the rear foot, the midfoot and the forefoot, get you really sensing each area, opening the joints, particularly in the midfoot and just build a tiny, not tiny, but just do a one or two exercises to build a little bit of strength in the soleus and learning to push through the foot. Phase two, there's like starting to build a little bit more strength there, um, strengthen the forefoot a bit more and the calf a bit more. Phase three is like connecting so when we push through the foot here's what we want the knee to be able to do and here's how the hip we should get hip extension when we push through this part of the foot and that's kind of connecting the whole lower limb together and phase four then is plyometrics so we start to bring people through different jumping exercises and learning to leave the ground and come back to the ground again and that's written for people with plantar fascia achilles issues shin splints ankle issues all this stuff but most a lot of the coaches and therapists a lot of people that are buying it are coaches and therapists because they get to see exactly how i write a program and just say okay we start with this we use we do then move on to this this and this and then they get to do it and they feel oh this gives me so many little options to use with my clients because most people that have foot problems they just do two things they go into physio and they get given calf raises and towel like scrunches 
or toe lifts or something like this. And those exercises are fine, but there's a lot more to the foot and the lower leg than just calf raises and tail scrunches. Or the other option is they don't get given any exercise and they're just put in, or, in, in an orthotic straight away. So yeah, it just gives people options. And then for the people who want to dive deeper, they come to a workshop then or they, or they jump on our membership site or hopefully a bit of both. And this membership side, I looked on your website, is called DGR Interactive. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Cool. Exactly. Cool. Is, is there a certain age bracket for your courses? Like, is can you be too old for them nah. or too young? No. 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 Uh, you just have to want to move. And we have kind of regressions and progressions. And you can't do this on a single leg. So you start on a double leg. And No. We've, that's been the that's been one of the coolest things for us to see and I've learned a lot from that and I think a lot of coaches have learned a lot is that because so, we'll have Olympians and professional athletes like professional NBA players earning millions and millions of dollars a year and they'll buy a 50 euro program and they'll get better results with that program than they have done in years of therapy from their their physio in the NBA But then the same, there could be a 50-year-old person, 60-year-old, 70-year-old could be doing the same program and they will get huge benefits as well. The only difference is the professional athlete usually learns things much quicker. They, they, they just are skill development machines. They just pick up skills mm -hmm. so incredibly quickly. So they need to, they will just progress a bit quicker. That's the, that's the only difference, but that's why I think we can, we all have the same shape of body pretty much. We all have the same shape of joints at least. Yeah. Some are taller, some are smaller, some are, there's diff slightly different structures, but everyone still has a femur. Right? Everyone still has a hip that hopefully can move in these directions. So that's how I look at it. And I just, I challenge people, but I ask them to start at their level and just progress as they feel like they can. Nice, David. It's really sounds like something a huge bunch of people should check out and so many people have some sort of problem so probably they can relate i see especially as things for the foot but also for all the other no like upper body lower body core uh areas so they will find your work at davidgrayrehab.com and yeah. as i said already your instagram is also maybe the best place to first get to know, okay, what sort of work, what sort of exercises could wait for me in such yeah, uh, a exactly. program. Because people might listen and they might say, say, this guy sounds good. And then they might go on my Instagram and see my head and hate me, hate me immediately when <laughs> they see my face. So that, <laughs> there's a chance that will happen. And mm -hmm. I want to go back to what you said about the neck because there's one thing that... Uh, I have one vivid memory of being at that Edo workshop and we were doing, I can't remember what it's called, but it's the, you have a finger on either side or yeah. a finger and a thumb and you're trying to move your head. Glides, I actually can't yeah. do it. The glides, glides yeah. side to side. And I probably still can't do it. Um, but you were explaining it, you showed it. And then uh, you said, like, try to be, pretty strict with it when you're practicing on your own or so something like this i don't want to put words in your mouth but something like this like try and actually do the motion don't don't spice it up too much or something like this and you were walking around the room and i have a vivid memory of 
I must have been like moving my neck half an inch because you came over and you were like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm trying to do it. And I don't want to spice it up too much. And you said, well, you need to spice it up a little bit at least. So, yeah, so that I have a very vivid memory of, of that. Um, I, have so. say, I have to say that I was actually, I was a little bit more spicy like back then and how I was speaking to people. Yeah. I, I turned it down a little bit. I became a little bit nicer. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy it stayed in your mind as a, funny thing let's say <laughs> yeah yeah i'm i i in ireland i'm i'm well used to people being like pretty blunt so uh that was like that's that's how i like i like to be coached just tell me what it is and i'll i'll go so that was good <laughs> that was really good nice david thank you for the conversation that was very interesting it was very interesting for me to dive a little bit uh deeper into the, into it and also like yeah figure out a bit more the depth of the work and where it comes from and i'm definitely uh how do you say like yeah i'm i'm excited like it, it sounds very very nice and i will look into your programs so you definitely sold one more program <laughs> in this uh well this, i am i'm i'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna check out your um your program as well definitely <laughs> because i have you do you use much of the or have you seen much of the frc work um, I haven't done, <clears throat> I haven't done it myself, but people also tell me regular. Oh yeah, that's a bit similar. Yeah, yeah. So they they have placed a big emphasis on joint articulations. Um, uh, what do they call it? Contr cars, controlled articular rotations, and moving all your joints in every direction or m most directions. But I, I really like the idea. But they place a massive emphasis on where. Well, at least this is how it's kind of people will end up performing it this way is creating as much tension as possible. So irradiation is a concept uh, like squeezing as hard as you can to get one more millimeter out of the joint. And I am not a big fan. I think that can be beneficial in certain cases, but I don't, it's not that I want always one more millimeter out of the joint. I want to be able to move the joint without needing to squeeze as hard as possible all of the time. So yeah, I really like the idea of moving all our joints. I've learned that from some of Edo stuff. Obviously, you've been working on it. Um, some FRC stuff, um, Chinese martial arts. So like, there's a very common theme of just being able to move your joints around and feeling good. But then there's I would fall more on the side of exploring with less tension rather than more all of the time. Yeah, yeah. I I feel related to this. That's why I also call it soft range of motion practice because it might start with tension here and there and you might feel your muscles working but in the end the idea is that you have a soft body mm -hmm. love it excellent cool excellent uh, thank, you, Joseph, David. thank you thank you for having me really appreciate it really enjoyed the chat and uh keep up the great work